The Whistleblower Report, exposing lies, deceptions, and all that has assaulted our way of life. We must take back our freedom and live as God designed in a free America that honors our Constitution and our Creator. Our experts in medicine, ministry, law, military, environment, and education empower us to grow together as a nation. For such a time as this, the Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome to the Whistleblower Report, and this is the legal and what also will be the financial segment with Todd Callender, international attorney with a specialty in disability law internationally, but also a specialty in insurance law and running a major international insurance group that we haven't spent a lot of time talking about because he and I and the foundation and his disabled rights advocate and Vax Choice organization have all been more focused on the medical and legal front with the assault on people around the world that is becoming clear is a genocide. But today, Todd has breaking news on multiple fronts that he would like to bring to us. So, Todd, I'm going to let you take it away You've just had an important meeting that you feel you need to alert the American people. So tell us what's going on. Yeah, th thank you for giving me the, the platform and time to do it, doctor. So what you said is right, that in my day job, I'm an executive, I'm an insurance executive, um, and run a, a group of many insurers, eight of them, in fact. And, and we do business all over the planet, um, primarily in the disability business. But my point in, in telling you all of this is really just more of a financial concern because like every other finance company, as insurance companies effectively are, um, you know, we have the same uh, risks, frankly, as the banks do in terms of deploying investments and in what we call capital adequacy. Do we have enough money to meet the, the claims should you know, everybody claim at once, for example? And so we watch that very carefully and we deploy our insurance reserves very carefully um, to make sure that when there's a claim, we can pay it. Um, that's, that's the nature of the beast. It's part of being a, a, an executive in a regulated industry. So that's not the issue. The issue is I just had a, um, a meeting with the top risk manager for Citi. And, um, and that's Citibank. That's right. They, they, they go by various different names depending on what country they're in. And we're outside of the United States, so they simply go by city here. But that's right. It's part of the Citibank group. And now risk has become a really important role in the international financial arena because their job title is actually now encompassing not just AML compliance, not just lending and parameters, but political and economic risk as well. And so the, the conversation is really quite disturbing, you know, because we've been deeply concerned about um, the rising death rate, as you and I have spoken about at great length, which ties into our claims business. Um, that As people become injured, we have to pay claims. Also, um, watching mortality rates increase at the same time as probate courts in the United States are incapable of keeping up with the demand. They're operating between 12 and 18%. And so 
that has an effect on the property markets and the credit markets. It's all connected together at the same time. And so that was part of the conversation that I just had, that um, there, that organization, one of the biggest financial institutions in the world, is preparing, as is Bank of America, as is all of the major companies, J.P. Morgan et al., um, for the, the U.S. to default on its debt payments. And the, the catastrophe that will cause in a global financial sense is beyond description. So um, we're left with very few choices. What, what do other countries do? What are the big banks doing? Um, where are they putting their money? And it's the same place as Bill Gates. Right? They're buying uh, precious metals and they're buying land because those things you can actually possess versus paper uh, that is completely dependent on the credit worthiness of the issuer, which could be literally nothing. This medium exchange we call cash only works because both sides of the transaction agree to, to its value. Um, that paradigm is soon to change because the only thing backing that paper currency is the full faith and credit of, uh, of our country, the U.S., and if the U.S. defaults on the debt, then they've lost everybody's trust and that value of that currency could go, frankly, to zero. It probably won't go all the way there, but it could. The, the knock-on effect of that is, you know, other countries, as for instance, I live in the Caribbean, our central bank holds U.S. dollar uh, reserves, meaning that's the only thing backing their currency. So if the U.S. dollar goes down, so does this currency. And, and that's uh, not anecdotal. There's a lot of countries around the world that have, have done the same thing. The U.S. dollar was the gold standard for many years. It was backed by oil, and that's why they call it the petrodollar. It was used in European transactions for denomination. They call that the euro dollar. All of that's changed uh, since Biden has taken office. Uh, and, and now we're really seeing the death of the dollar, which means that um, a, a huge catastrophe is about to befall the United States and looks to me like the world. And it also looks to me like it's all timed very carefully to coincide with um, various other happenings at this very moment. For instance, the change in the World Health Organization rules to eliminate any protection for human rights, um, the danger and damages to the, um, the Thai royal family, the criminal complaint by um, our friend Pascal, uh, with the Swiss government, all of this ties into what Klaus Schwab calls the Great Reset. And, and so we're really there. And the question is how best do we prepare for this because they're, the perpetrators of this genocide are going for broke. And, and we're right there right now, folks. Todd, what are the, what are the ramifications for the average citizen average American, you know, people really don't understand what it can mean to them personally if the U.S. defaults on the debt. I mean, I find what you just said is so chilling, it's hard to contemplate the enormity of the damage that yeah. is coming. But the average person really doesn't understand why don't you spell it out a little bit for sure. our listeners to have them really understand the enormity of what you've just said? Yeah, I'm going to say it again, just so that it resonates. Um, the senior risk person for one of the biggest banks on the planet just explained to me how they are preparing for the U.S. government to default on its debt obligations. Uh, we, we call those debt obligations treasury bills. So the way that money works is um, the Bank for International Settlements buying through the Federal Reserve 
make up money out of thin air. They print a bunch of it and then they loan it to our government um, who establishes a value attached to that, that paper currency. It's $1 and with $1 you can buy, who knows, a candy bar for sake of argument. Um, so the, the value of that candy bar, the value of that dollar is inextricably tied to the promise to repay that debt to the, the creators of the money. So if the U.S. runs out of the ability, has the incapability of repaying the interest on that debt is really what we're talking about, because we've not been paying down the debt um, as long as I can remember. We're only paying interest on the debt. Um, then what that means is that the, the country is broke. And, and frankly, it has been for a long time. And if the country can't repay the interest on the national debt, how is it going to meet its future obligations to people who are retiring? Social Security Administration, when banks um, have credit defaults by virtue of the uh, increasing mortality rate, somebody dies, they have a big mortgage on their house, that mortgage has to go through probate, the bank wants to get paid, you know, and there's a timing difference there. And if that, that dollar is now worth nothing, how are you going to repay that loan? You're not. What's going to happen is the bank is going to end up taking your house because it's collateralized. So imagine that as a ripple effect across the entire United States and then imagine that across the world because it really does um, go across borders. That's why we call things euro dollars outside the United States. Those are collateralized obligations. So um, that means that, that that candy bar, if you can pay for it with a dollar, right? If, if somebody on the other side of the store is willing to recognize that piece of paper as a legitimate medium of exchange. And, and the answer to the question is they may not, because if they can't take that dollar, put it into their bank and then turn that into a, some recognizable medium of exchange that, that we're, you know, they're buying their stuff from, some vendor you know, that, that sells them candy bars, the, the whole circuit breaks down because universally people recognize at the same time that that dollar has no value and others cannot depend on that as being a settlement currency in which they can transact business either inside the United States or across borders. So what you find is that people look for other mediums of exchange. And I've experienced this not less than four times in my life, having worked in really strange places around the world um, that, that have had trouble with economies, Cuba, for example, Venezuela, um, Congo, and Eastern Europe, Poland, all, all of them experienced this in their economies where their various currencies effectively were going to zero. And what did local people do? they found other mediums of exchange that were agreeable to whoever it was they were trying to trade with. Sometimes that was coins that had some amount of uh, precious metal in it, maybe gold, silver, nickel. Um, other people found different currencies. In Venezuela, nobody wanted the bolivares. They wanted dollars, and they, they agreed those were universally of value because they could change them into goods and services for value. So we will see the same thing happen here. If the U.S. defaults on its, um, on its debt obligation, the value of the currency will certainly go down uh, significantly. I don't think it'll go to zero, but it will go down a lot. And then everything that you think you own um, becomes valued differently. That yeah, candy bar becomes $2, not one, overnight. And you're only earning you know, so many dollars per day unless your salary doubles then you're not going to have the same spending power that you had. Did, did that help at all? Yes, it does. And that, that is something. So 
practical applications for people. Food will cost more. Fuel will cost more if yeah. you can get it. <clears throat> if you can and, get it. And you, people may refuse to take dollars. I mean, when we were in That's Argentina right. and inflation was skyrocketing and we, we were working in Argentina and Chile for a while. And what we found was that in Argentina, people didn't want Argentine pesos. Yeah. When we went to buy something, they wanted our U.S. dollars, exactly as you just said. But if the U.S. dollar fails, what options then what? do we have? Then right. what? Exactly. And this is where I think the precious metals will come into play. You know, people in our mindset, Dr., have, have thought about this for a long time. This isn't a new concept to them, but I'm just trying to tell them the day is here. Um, make sure you got your preps because they'll, they'll move to silver. They'll move to, you know, coins that, that people recognize as having a, a value. Um, I think the bigger companies that, that um, do deals across borders will shift to a different base currency, maybe the Canadian dollar instead of the U S dollar. So it'll work itself out. My, my, hypothesis is that cash, the paper kind, will work for a week or two um, while people try and figure out what's going on. It will take them a while to absorb this and understand this. So if you have cash um, and, and you see a default on the U.S. Treasury, use that cash to buy something valuable that you can trade. Um, ammunition, food, you know, water production, food production, fuel, um, the ability to make energy, you know, those are all the kinds of preps that are useful because you can trade those for goods and services. You can trade fuel, you can trade energy, you can trade food and ammunition. So those are those are our preps. Well, I, I think that's wise advice and perhaps build your stores of food that has a long shelf life. Yeah. While you can can use your current currency to buy it and keep it keep it on hand the long shelf life uh, foods that are available as emergency supplies for example is a good thing to be investing in and looking at ways to have something that can help your family survive the hard times there actually was a an incredible book written by Furfall Aguirre in Argentina just after the Argentine collapse in 2000, 2001 to 2002. And he was a young man trying to keep his family alive, living in the urban area of Buenos Aires. So he wasn't a prepper out in the country. Right. He was in an urban area. And his book, Surviving an Economic Collapse, is still available on Amazon. And it has a lot of very practical suggestions. In fact, it's a wealth of practical suggestions about surviving an economic collapse in an urban environment, which is what most Americans face today. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a follow-on to that too, Doctor. That it, I appreciate what you just said. Those people understand the paradigm, but I want to impart to you another piece of this paradigm. And I'm sorry to, to digress, but it's important. You would have seen, for example, um, universal basic income. So my sense is 
that there is a program. It's a it's a UN program that um, and OECD. It's a it's a partnership of sorts, but the OECD is just the tax and fiscal policy arm of the United Nations. That when people are indebted heavily, um, the, then we'll swoop in the IMF, who will say to the homeowner, um, "We will, you know, you're in trouble." We're going to take all of your debt and wash it away. You turn over the title to your property, everything you own, and then we're going to give you $1,500 of, of SDR. That's the IMS currency per month, 1,500 SDR per month or something like that. That plan is in place. They're, they're forcing everybody into an economic paradigm where they will be dependent and they're going to make them more dependent. So in terms of these preps, you know, maybe one of those things is that if you have the cash on hand, and you are indebted, either you, you know tax on your property or your mortgage. You might want to pay that off. Well, what if people can't pay off their mortgage? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a very real issue. They're going to have a lot of trouble. And um, in that case, I would spend my my cash on things that I need to survive and things that I can trade. Because the reality of the situation is that whole program to trade everybody's debt for universal basic income is going to take years to happen. And the, the reality is we have to survive during those years in, in the first instance. And the rest we're going to have to figure out. It's like Dr. Chambers says, control the controllables. No, that's, that's exactly right. And the controllables are the things that you can take steps to do to protect your family. And that's, that's why that book, which I will put as a resource in the show notes, that's why that I was really struck. I read that book first time when we were in Argentina in 2005. And actually, I happened to be reading it because we were looking at the fact that under the Obama administration in this country, beginning in the, at the beginning of 2009, when I saw who was elected in 2008, we realized yeah. what was coming. Trouble. Inf yeah. Inflation, um, government control of health care, changing um, access to fossil fuels. I mean, it was very clear what the Democrat yeah. agenda was. And the fact that Obama was coming to power made it very ominous. And so we started looking at those issues then. And that book really had a lot of very, very practical steps. Because remember, this was a young man at the time. Now, obviously, this is 20 years later, so he's older. But he was trying to keep his family and his wife and children alive. And he was, yes. at the time, as he described it, he was in his late 20s, maybe 30. And he was trying to find a way to keep his family alive. Yeah which is what many people will be faced with. Well, are there other aspects connected to this? What, what is the um, projected time frame that you see this move to default on the U.S. debt obligations may occur? Are we looking at six months? Are we looking at three months? Are we looking at no. maybe next year? No, and I want to stress that this isn't just City saying this. You know, if you if you go online and look, you'll find J.P. Morgan uh, is saying this. J.P. Morgan Chase. You can find uh, Goldman Sachs. All of the big banks are saying the exact same thing at the exact same time. So my concern is that this is imminent, meaning within the, the quarter. 
So anywhere up to the end of March is, and it, it tends to coincide with all of the other things that we were talking about. For instance, the, the Bill Gates next time, right? The next pathogen. Doesn't that make perfect sense? If you're, if your job is to eliminate 7 billion people, that's no easy task. So, you know, the shots did part of that. Um, they're, they're causing all of the food distribution centers to, to burn up. I don't know how you burn up an aquaculture place, but they did that. Um, you know, so, and, you know, vaccinating cows with mRNA you know, so that they fall over dead. They're, they're interrupting the food and the fuel supply at the same time. So it looks like this is just a, a bunch of different vectors of the exact same attack. Um, all of which seem to be, you know, coinciding towards the, uh, the end of this quarter is what I'm worried about. Well, and that ties in with the NIH announcement on February 3rd. Oh, we've just succeeded in coming up with a new vaccine to roll out for <laughs> Sudan virus, one of the four viruses that causes Ebola. So we did a whistleblower report on that last week where we talked about the fact with Dr. Yeadon and Hedley Reese who are pharma insiders oh, yeah. about the impossibility of having a new vaccine properly manufactured and prepared in just a few months. The Sudan virus only broke out four months ago. So how they have suddenly decided that they can roll out a new vaccine. Wow. So I think we see the handwriting on the wall that they are going to end the COVID pandemic emergency and put in a new one for yeah. virus slash Ebola. That, that's right. And, and you asked the question, how could they prepare a vaccine so quickly? And the answer to that question is because they're the ones that made the pathogen. And we have all of the evidence. We've got full-time research teams that uh, have been working on our case where you know, we sued the U.S. Department of Defense, Health and Human Services, and the FDA um, on behalf of service members. But as a part of that process, you know, we have uncovered a whole lot of information, including a, a database. I think you've talked with one of our researchers about it, that the Department of Energy maintains with thousands and thousands of different pathogens that our government created, including the Zaire version of Ebola. It's just one of many that they've created. So the answer to your question is, of course, they know uh, how, to, how to solve the problem. They, they created the problem, as always. Exactly right. And all of these things are occurring, these Zaire virus, Sudan virus, Ebola, Marburg, you know, when they have outbreaks, they all occur in very isolated parts of the globe where there's no media attention and where there's yeah. no independent evaluation or analysis. And, and so but you talk about you have all of the evidence, and we can explore this more in the second half as we come close to the break, but you talk about the evidence that we have, and we, we've been working closely together, you and I have, for yes. the last couple of years on the yes. medical-legal combination approaches that are needed. And what we're finding is the courts of law are not ruling on any of this. That's right. And, and the reason for that is because we're under a national emergencies declaration, amongst others, where we remain under a public health emergency declaration. The force and effect of that, uh, what that means in real terms, is that almost all of your constitutional rights have been suspended. 
you are living under martial law and you have been living under martial law since March of 2020, if not earlier. So what, what is our government? What are they doing? And, and the answer to that is they are in the process of killing you. They rolled out these shots uh, in response to a fraud called COVID and the shots are deadly. And we know that. And we also know, doctor, um, from all of their plans and peer reviewed papers that we've discovered that they've been poisoning people for decades. Uh, it's just this time, you know, there's no going back. They, they tried to, quote unquote, vaccinate the planet, vaccinate the world, and thank God they failed. Um, and I think we're only talking at this moment because they were unable to get the whole world shot. No, I think you're right. And that ties in with things that are going on on the legal front. You mentioned quickly the criminal case that is going forward in Switzerland, and we just did a whistleblower report on that last week. And we will, you and I and Pascal Najati will be talking further about that in an upcoming one. So that's going forward. And in the second half, I'd like to talk more about what the ramifications are of that. And I'd like to talk more about what has happened that we've seen multiple news reports now about the crown princess of Thailand being in a coma as a result of the Pfizer shot. And Dr. Sukarit. Bhakti, who is a Thai by his up his birth, but has been raised in Germany and and was a, is a major international one of the top ranking German immunologists, and of course he has access to the Thai court because his father was a physician to the previous king. So, Doctor Bhakti has given interviews about how serious this is. And in the second half, I'd really like for you to talk about the, some of the legal aspects. What does it mean if the king of Thailand is talking about taking action? What are the options in general? And how does that tie in with the options going on in Switzerland? And how does that tie in with the options you've already initiated against the United States Department of Defense and Secretary Austin and his lethal agenda harming our US troops with the COVID shot mandates. So why don't we take a break right here and come back and talk about all of those things in the second half. This is Dr. Lee for America. We are the Whistleblower Report every day here on America Out Loud, 12 noon and 12 midnight Eastern time, and then podcast on all the global networks. Join us. Get the cutting edge information you need that the mainstream media is refusing to bring to you. And we are bringing you the truth against the lies and deceptions. And we are also bringing you hope and solutions. Go to truthforhealth.org and check out all of our resources and go to vax, V-A-X-X, choice.com and get access to all of the vaccine resources and disabledrightsadvocates.com is Todd's law firm defending people on all these fronts. So you have lots of resources 
and we encourage you to use them, this may save your life. That's our goal. We will be right back. was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that said, lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing, leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. You already know Genesis plus HOCL is your best defense against viruses. But did you also know it's the most powerful weapon for eliminating airborne mold too? Customers are raving about the Genesis Fogger's ability to tackle mold problems and the bad smells that go with them. And we all know mold is a hazard to your health. There's no airborne invader that Genesis can't handle. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order, risk-free, Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. The family of Juliana Parker sincerely thanks the Truth for Health Foundation. Without their support and help, we would not have been able to get my mother out of the hospital and into my home where I could take care of her for the last few days of her life. Offering us comfort care just wasn't good enough. We knew that she could be with us longer and it was a fight to get her out and without their support and help and their list of all the things that we needed to do to make this happen, because it definitely seemed like it was going to take a miracle. And that miracle came. I look back and I can't believe that we were able to go against a giant hospital, bring our mother home and then I just remember fall. It was so beautiful when my mother passed here in my living room and they took her away and I could see all the beautiful leaves. Anyways, thank you. Welcome back to the second half of the Whistleblower Report. This is Dr. Lee for America here with the Financial and Legal Report with international attorney Todd Callender. Todd, let's talk about what has just happened in Switzerland and what we've been reading about that's going on in Thailand and what we've learned from Dr. Bhakti and some of the other people who have been talking about that. And you've brought out in interviews you've done about what it means with regard to what's called universal jurisdiction. And then talk about your Department of Defense lawsuits. So Let's connect those dots on the legal front for our listeners in the time we have in the second half. 
Sure. Good. Well, there's really three ways to undo the, the genocide, to, to stop it and seek reconciliation, meaning seeking our recovery, um, whether it's monetary damages or, or penal um, damages. You know, people get sentenced to jail terms and death um, in cases like this. So and I think all three of those things can happen contemporaneously. So in, in the civil court system, the way that somebody is made whole is through money damages for the most part. There's also things called equity where you can, um, you can get a declaratory judgment. Hey, Pfizer, stop producing these things. Hey, U.S. Department of Defense, you have to stop mandating your soldiers take the shots. And that's precisely what, why we sued and what it was we were doing. So that was through the civil side. Um, in the criminal realm, there is exclusive power to prosecute people to the government itself. Uh, ordinary citizens, while you can make a citizen's arrest and you can seek for law enforcement to recognize that and hold that person and even charge that person, the actual prosecution of people under criminal law is reserved onto the state. So that's not something we as regular lawyers can do. All we can do is create the circumstances and, and hope um, that somebody tasked with being a prosecutor will do their job. And if they do their job, you, you hope that you're going to get a, a fair judge and a fair jury. And ultimately, that would lead to um, a penalty. Usually, that's in form of, of incarceration, sometimes uh, restitution. Money is taken, assets are taken. And on rare occasion, that translates into death. Um, and then the third way is through the, the military mechanism, military tribunals. So the last time humanity was faced with this prospect, it was slightly different in so much that we were in a wartime footing and the Germans, amongst others, were conducting horrible medical experiments on prisoners of war and, and other prisoners that, that were just political prisoners or even ethnic prisoners. And as the war ended and the Allies took over Germany and came to find these things, they, they convened military tribunals because the country of Germany no longer existed. It was defeated by the war. And the de facto government in that area was, in fact, the Allied forces, the, the U.S., the Australians, the Canadians, uh, and the Brits all were there together. And by virtue of still being in a war footing, they opened um, war crimes tribunals. The, when you hear the word war crimes, that actually is international criminal law now. And that was born of the Nuremberg trials that we're talking about. The, um, the Allied forces convened a, a court martial and they tried and convicted lots of uh, Germans and a few other nationalities for doing horrible things to uh, their prisoners. There were treaties in place. The Germans had an obligation to uh, respect those and follow those, and they didn't. And for that reason, they were charged criminally in a military setting. We are in the same place here right now. Um, really, after 9-11, the United States has been at war, a declaration of war, and, and I don't believe that that's ever been undone. So we are on a wartime footing um, against what enemy we don't know. What we have come to find in relation to uh, the, the genocide in progress is that our government had a, a big hand in it. And when I say our government, I mean specifically there were persons in our government that, that abused the apparatus of government to carry out this genocide. You might hear me say, you know, the DOD was perpetrating this crime. And I mean that in so much that the, the higher ups in the DOD authorized this. They did all of the 
um, experimentation. They knew what they were doing and then they rolled it out. So it isn't the soldiers in uniform that were perpetrating this crime. They were also injured. It was the political appointees um, the, that were actually the perpetrators of this crime. And, and the same follows for most other countries at the same time. So given that circumstance, if we sue civilly, as we did in our case, um, you know, we got tossed out of court uh, at the trial court level. We, we appealed to the appellate courts. That's where we're at now. But we didn't get a sympathetic judge. Uh, we didn't get an order to stop the military. It was actually the service members themselves that, that filed so many claims they papered the DOD into oblivion. They stopped them. So that, that isn't working all that well. From a criminal point of view, um, in 2020, my law firm drafted a form criminal complaint. And when we published it in March of that year, there were 20,000 people that downloaded those and filed them across the United States in six different countries. Out of all of those filed and the ones since then, there was only one sheriff, the entire United States of America, Sheriff Villanueva in Los Angeles County, who took the time to read it and came back and said, we don't have jurisdiction. But they were the only ones to ever come back to us about it. Um, so that, that system is not working, the system of justice. That leaves only one option left to stop this thing. And that is through a military tribunal. And that depends on a billeted general in any military on the planet um, because of war crimes that, that, that came of the laws that came of uh, Nuremberg provide for universal jurisdiction. And what that really means, what it boils down to is anybody in any government under color of law, it could be a prosecutor, could be a police officer, um, could be military, can start a, a mechanism, not necessarily military tribunal, but they have the jurisdictional grounds to try and pursue criminal charges against the perpetrators. And um, we've been focusing on you know, how to do that. Your friend Pascal Majadi, um, who appeared with you, filed criminal charges in Switzerland. And now we find that the Swiss Attorney General is actually taking the case and doing something about it. That is a new paradigm. And that has legs because the Swiss government actually has the means and mechanisms by which they could conduct such a trial, a criminal trial, in fact, um, of their own people. So that's kind of where the Swiss one is. That really was enormous. And what he also, Pascal Najati, and, and for our listeners that did not hear that whistleblower report, Pascal Najati was a top level major Swiss investment banker over his career advising heads of state in Central Asia, Central Europe, the Russian Federation, and Africa. So he was at the center of the financial world throughout his career. And he is actually, is his mother was related to the president of Switzerland at the time of World War II or just before World War II. And, and his father was one of the founding members of the European Management Forum, which later became the World Economic Forum. Now, his father uh, exposed a lot of corruption and tragically was assassinated in 2013 for exposing corruption, Pascal believes. So with with Pascal being so knowledgeable about the inner workings of finances and law and the, the government in Switzerland, he, he feels very strongly that this may well have 
major legs, and he was making the point that citizens have a duty to report a crime, and he's also very much in agreement with you that we need to hold these government officials accountable for their abuse of power lying to the public in all of these countries. But he, he also said something interesting. He said, everything is based here in Switzerland. The yeah. WHO, CERN, and Gavi. So That's right. would you talk about a little bit about those and why it's so significant? It's really a landmark case. It's so well, significant it that it's in Switzerland. Yes. What he's talking about, what he's making reference to, uh, and it's more than that, by the way, is the jurisdictional basis. Because um, the, the reality is that courts can only pursue, they can only decide matters where they, they actually have authority. And so the Bank for International Settlements, for instance, who owns all the central banks on the planet, including the IMF and the World Bank, who were very much a part of this genocide. They financed it, um, probably planned it. They are in Switzerland. Um, Pfizer and other defendants like them all have offices in Switzerland. Some of them are traded. They're publicly quoted companies in Switzerland. CERN, of course, were the large Haldron, um, what is it, the... What is it called? Is there's a the collider, right? Is that what it is? Yes. Collider. Particle accelerator collider. It's part of this the same group of people. They they call themselves the elites, and and in that particular case, they're trying to open the gates of hell itself, um, and brag. And actually, success. there's a statue to Shiva on their grounds, and yeah. there's also a wall hanging of a sculpture of Shiva in the World Health Organization. Ah main conference room, they are telegraphing their dedication to the forces of evil. The WHO is also headquartered in Geneva. And as is Gabby, Gabby is a a Bill Gates creation um, along with the WHO. And it's it's designed to bring um, vaccine policy, amongst other things, distribution and policy around the world to, to effectively pimp or promote um, these death shots and, and everyone before them. So the head of the snake is in Switzerland and the Swiss courts have the jurisdiction. So I'm, I'm extremely pleased that a Swiss prosecutor, the attorney general, the top lawyer in all of Switzerland is pursuing this case, not just you know, against Pfizer. He's going against the Swiss president and the Minister of Health, these are you know, elected politicians. So you really are going after, you know, towards the head of the snake, maybe the, ne- maybe the neck of the snake. But the defendants can be found inside that court's jurisdiction. And I just pray that, um, I, I, I believe this will be a, a trial to a judge. I don't know if it's a trial to a jury, but I, I hope that their system is not as corrupt as what we're finding the U.S. system to be. Well, and I hope that they can bring it quickly enough to have an impact prior to the financial Armageddon that you were just describing in the first half of the show. And and you may be right that that the fact that the Swiss case has been filed and the investigation is now underway, taken forward by the attorney general of Switzerland, that has ominous um, portent for the fact that maybe that's 
likely to accelerate the default on the uh, that's debt my in the concern US? yeah because yeah. doesn't it make perfect sense that they would try and distract and mitigate their own culpability their own liability um, with you know the default of the US debt would send ripples around the world it would become the most important thing in people's lives and they would quickly forget about this oh I I think you're absolutely right. And look, this has been a strategy of the demonic Democrats, death by Democrat agenda for yeah. most of my adult life, distract people from the reality of the damage that's occurring on another front. So that's right. they would, in other words, the enormity of the malignant, narcissist, evil mind is such that they would crash the U.S. dollar in order to cover up their crimes and continue their genocide agenda. That's my sure. bottom line, how I look at it. Well, it makes perfect sense with the starvation, right? You look back to World War II in that era between China, Russia, Ukraine, and other countries. Um, you know, mankind has gotten very good at starving out mankind. Exactly. Look at what Stalin did to the Ukrainians. Seven million Ukrainians killed by Stalin, deprived of food. And that's what, I mean, this is very ominous, this, this attack on our food processing facilities, poultry, cattle, pork. Mm, nitrogen. All of, all of the um, food processing facilities. And you know what's interesting if you look at the fact, if you look at the, the companies, the food processing plants that were hit first and destroyed, they were the ones that produced non-GMO foods. Wow. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Yes. Well, and, and, and I mentioned nitrogen because I've talked with a variety of experts that tell me that you know, Bill Gates has got a great giant machine in the middle of Nebraska sucking out the nitrogen from the fertile soil making it infertile um, chemtrails across the sky to, to blot out the sun and put God knows what into the soil. So, you know, they are using the climate change as another excuse to simply add to our inability to feed ourselves through without nitrogen, you, you can't grow crops. If you don't have crops, you can't grow livestock. Without that, those two things were dead. How in the world do you create a machine how do you even think so evilly to create a machine to suck nitrogen out of the soil? Well, because humans are the cause of all evil, according to the, the quote unquote elites. You know, we found out in our case and doing a lot of research that the goal of the enterprise of the other side, the, the bad guys doing this, is that they want to genetically modify or kill every plant and animal species ever created by God. That includes us. We're, we're marked for extinction, doctor. So they've gotten very creative in ways by which they're going to achieve that means. And sadly, a lot of people are, are just too slow and apathetic to actually care or notice. So the question for us becomes, is it possible to stop it? And how do we find ways? And these are rhetorical questions because obviously you and I have been working nonstop along with a lot of other people working nonstop seven days a week to, to raise awareness right. and help get people to take the action steps they have available to them to do. 
and the apathy is truly staggering. So how, how are we able how? to find a way to stop this, the enormity of this evil agenda? Or are we seeing a truly biblical Armageddon in a sense that yes. it's like the flood when God took control of the evil that was invading the earth, his creation at that time of, at the time of Noah and Noah followed God's guiding. He built an ark in the desert that was the size of three football fields. Yeah. And people must've thought he was crazy, but God flooded the earth, destroyed it. Yes. And I think we face that again. My sense is we're in an either or equation. People either live to abide and demand the truth and personal responsibility or um, because that's the only way we're going to stop this or we don't. And we, the Messiah returns and they wipe the slate clean again. It, It can only be one of the two options. And I think we have a chance, doctor. I think enough people didn't take the shots. I think more than half of this world didn't take the shots. So that's a good start. And if humanity can find their courage, if they can find their conviction, if they can find God, frankly, I think there's a very real chance that um, we can come out of that. So we can, it's a very small group of people that are doing all this. It's through the apparatus of governments and that those people, that apparatus is people. And if those people can find their courage and their morals, find God, they don't have to go with the program. We can all opt out of this. We really, truly can. Well, I think you are correct, and I base that on what has happened, particularly in Argentina, where the Marxists have controlled it for decades, and where people have been resilient enough to find a way around the devaluation of their currency, shutting down food, And people have been creative and resilient. But you compare that with Venezuela, where it is total collapse. And you you live outside the United States. You have an international perspective. In a couple of minutes, can you comment on what you think might be different about why the Argentines have been creative and have yeah. found ways around the system and the Venezuelans did not. <laughs> well, necessity is the mother of invention, isn't it? And um, you know, the, the Argentines, number one, were used to making their own food, you know, whether that was uh, beef or uh, crops, one way or the other, they've been an agronomy economy. And the baseline is they're able to feed themselves. Venezuela is a different kettle of fish entirely. Um, by virtue of their oil, they largely skipped the agronomy part of their economy. They went from very poor to doing very well in, in resource, wealth, and finance without having spent the time and energy on a large scale like Argentina. So I find myself in that same situation where I live in the Caribbean. It's much the same story. Uh, the, the, these people have largely uh, bypassed as a culture that, that uh, pain and struggle and understanding of how people make food on a grand scale. 
So we're going to be very much in the same position, except that, you know, we're all used to living through hurricanes. We're used to doing without when you live on an island, you find ways. So it goes back to personal responsibility that if we're too fat, if we're too entertained, if we're too lazy, um, then we're doomed. But if, if people are used to hard work, if they're used to self-responsibility, making it on their own, um, feeding themselves, then they'll do fine. And I think there's a whole lot of this planet that is just like that, including the continent of Africa and India. Um, those are the two places where very few people took the shots and they may be really the, the hope for the survival of our species. Good points, good points. And also, I will add to your comment about too fat and too entertained. There's been an orchestrated attempt <clears throat> flooding our border with drugs that going back to the um, 60s with the push towards marijuana and widespread use among young people, one of marijuana's properties is to make people apathetic. Yes. It decreases motivation and drive. And in fact, guys don't realize this, but marijuana is actually ha having estrogenic effects and it decreases testicular size and production of testosterone. And it's why you look around and you see young young men, adolescents and, and college age and young adult men who smoke a lot of pot, it's why they are thin and more frail looking. They don't have normal muscle mass because it's it's damaging testicular function. But they've been told marijuana's okay. So what that's done is create a whole generation of people going back to those that grew up in the 60s, some of whom are patients of mine who still smoke pot on a daily basis. They are yeah. much more apathetic. They are not motivated. They don't have the fire in the belly spirit that was typical of the generations prior in the fifties and earlier. So I think it's a, it's a multi-pronged attack to decrease motivation and drive and increase apathy among American people with too much food, too much entertainment, and too many readily available drugs that rob you of your yeah. intellect and your drive. That's right. Sadly, that's right. And it's all by design, as you indicated. Exactly right. We've watched it happen over my lifetime, for sure. Well, Todd, in the, in the closing minutes, your final call to action, mention your resources and then we wrap up today and we'll be back again with another whistleblower next week when you're going to join Pascal Najati and me for a further discussion of what the WHO is doing in secret. Well, thank you for the opportunity. First and foremost, I, I think I'd like to reiterate the, the single most important part, I think, of surviving such a circumstance is, is self-sufficiency. Nobody is coming to help you. Your government isn't here to help you. They are here to kill you. And until that paradigm changes, as um, we look to others to save us, to protect us, to feed us, um, that dependency is, is a death sentence. And part of surviving that, that self-sufficiency, is truth. One must demand it. One must live it. One must expect it. And that's how the world works. It's how economies work, is through trust. And you, feel, you find and you build that trust. 
through through truth. And we wouldn't be in the situation we're in if people were better at recognizing BS when they saw it. You know, when you don't live the truth, you can't see it. Well, find it. And, and part of that is finding God, the, the higher power, get over the fear, take care of yourself and take care of your family. Powerful words, Todd, and finding God and turning back to God is probably one of the most important things that all of us can do. And I want to thank you for being with us today. You have, as always, been a voice of intellect, international wisdom, international expertise, and insight that helps all of us have a better sense of direction for the turbulent ways ahead. Thank you so much, Todd. My pleasure, doctor. Have you back next week. So, All right. God bless, doctor. God bless. And all of you listening, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for supporting the Whistleblower Report and Truth for Health Foundation. Donate to support our legal defense grants and our ability to help all of those who have been so trampled upon with their constitutional rights destroyed. We are grateful for your support. Get loud, get involved, get active, sign up for our crusade, sign up for our email alerts, and join us on the Whistleblower Report, Monday through Friday on America Out Loud Talk Radio, and Truth for Health, the rest of the story on Saturdays, as well as our Faith Over Fear seminar every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We are here to bring you truth, hope, and solutions for just such a time as this. God bless, and may God continue to bless the United States of America, and we turn back to God.